Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, Follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear. Go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's phenom is an American country music star whose musical journey takes us through multiple genres. With some of the most influential writers, this woman has lived all over the country, which explains why she plays multiple instruments, founded a cappella groups, has gone to prestigious music schools, crafted hits with pop stars, etc., etc., all on her road to receiving multiple Grammy nominations this year, including Best New Artist, Best Country Song, and Best Country Album. Not bad for someone who used to scoop ice cream for a living. From all over the place, probably Nashville right now, this writer's debut single, More Hearts Than Mine, is the kind of song everyone wishes they wrote. And the writer is Ingrid Andrus. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Great intro. Okay, okay. So um, as we said before, you and I have a lot of friends in common. Um, so I'm excited to... to We'll start from the beginning and then we'll just, you know, I naturally just grace over a bunch of them, I'm sure. But totally. uh, um, with a name like Ingrid Andrus, my assumption is that your family is Scandinavian. Um, yes, Scandinavian heritage. Um, my parents are definitely born and raised in America, though. My mom just decided that all of us would be named you know, after old Swedish people. So is it a specific Swedish person? Um, I just, I think they just picked all the most elderly names for my siblings. Cause I haven't met a young Ingrid before. They're all like grandmothers. So what are the other, um, what are your other siblings names? Hannah, Lars, Bria and Britta. Yeah. So do people that you meet, because in the songwriting world, there are so many Swedes, do people ever speak to you in Swedish with the assumption that you understand Swedish? So um, that has happened to me before. And also, 
I feel like at the beginning, most of when like nobody knew who I was, but I'd get all these cool sessions because everybody just assumed that I was a pop writer from Sweden. And then I would show up and they'd be like, oh, shit. This is, she is not a pop writer from Sweden. We really, we really fucked this up. But you obviously showed up when you, when you ended up in the rooms, you did pretty well because you ended up with a bunch of pop songs. So, I mean. Totally. Yeah. I, I pulled my weight, but definitely not actually from Sweden. Not on purpose. And, and I wonder yeah. if it's like, uh, it, you know, um, Joe London, who uh, obviously is listening to this call right now. Um, you know, we've talked about how when you change your name to something that sometimes like changing your name can be really advantageous because someone would want to work with someone who's got, you have such a good name that I imagine people just end up wanting to work with you because they're like, oh yeah, that like, I would rather work with, with that name than, you know, Ross Golan, like who would want- <laughs> All right, so let's go, let's go from the beginning. Cause you, you know, you were born in Michigan Obviously, you know this. I do, uh, yeah. But then you you were raised in Colorado. Why did your family move around? So my dad was a strength and conditioning coach for Major League Baseball. Um, and he started with the Detroit Tigers, but we didn't obviously stay there for very long. So then he started working for the Colorado Rockies. So we... Um, would basically travel with him because in baseball you have spring training for two months out of the year. So we would go um, to Arizona for that. So I'm pretty used to like kind of being all over the place as far as, you know, just learning to adapt to whatever situation you're in. Did your parents play music at all? Um, well, my mom taught us all piano, um, but I started when I was six. What? Is she a piano teacher? Or she I mean, taught? definitely not like a qualified teacher, but she knew how to play and um, like pretty well. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I started off hating it. But when you live with your piano teacher, it's hard to, you know, get away with with stuff because she knows when you're not practicing. So that was a you guys all fun. have to practice on the same piano. Yep, we'd all take turns. We'd all have to do thirty minute pra- um, thirty minute practices a day. Who's the so. best? Well, now I am because nobody else really per- like continued to play. Um, so, but looking back, I'm glad that she was that strict about it because I definitely would have quit early on. Yeah, I mean. It also says though that you played drums. So my assumption is that when you were growing up, you guys had this family band. Like that's how <laughs> that's how I envision the Andrus the Andrus kids. I mean, my sister and I. Well, you know, once I moved on to drums, she moved on to guitar, um, and so we thought we were gonna be in a band. And then you know, my my sister was not as pumped about it as I was. So um, I did try to start my own little metal band when I was in middle school. What was that band called? We never made it that far to a band name because we practiced maybe like five times. And I was just like, this is not good. We're not good because the lead singer just wanted to scream into the microphone. I'm like, I like that, but you got to time it right. You know, you can't just be screaming the whole time. So 
I was a little bummed, but why it were, worked out for the better. Why were you not the singer? Because I was the drummer. Okay. And I hadn't learned to sing and drum at the same time yet because I was still so new. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I never learned how to do that, if we're being honest. You know, the the drummer for Under Oath was always my... Because he sings and plays at the same time. And I was like, that's so sick. But I never got there. Yeah, I mean, Don Henley from the Eagles and Phil mm-hmm. And like, there's a lineage of... I mean, uh, uh, Dave Grohl, they're all these great drummer singers you know i mean there's something about drummers that make really good songwriters and i think it's because you don't necessarily hear everything on the same beat because you have you have some drum fills you know yeah when did rhythmic for sure when did you start writing um i feel like i didn't you know i i started writing, it was more like emo, like poetry, you know, in high school. Um, and then that's when I sort of started teaching myself to sing and play piano at the same time. I wouldn't call them songs. They're probably more just like brooding adolescent complaints, you know? Um, and then I didn't really start understanding songwriting until I went to Berkeley for a little bit. Um, cause I didn't think that you could, that that was a thing, like a, a career choice. Um, I just thought it was something that people did. I don't know. I didn't know much about it. Um, but you were but, at, you were growing up in in choir, and you were doing musicals and doing all that stuff. So I mean, you had some knowledge of what a good song was. Totally, and I think, um, yeah, I, I think because my musical taste was so all over the place, I think that's also why. Um, songwriting was always interesting to me because there's so many different ways that you can, you know, there's so many different types of songs and how they're lyrically structured. And um, so that was always really interesting to me, how country was so different from like how Eminem structures a song to how, you know, metal music is so different with like all the different time signatures. So to me, that was always interesting. I just didn't know that you could, that I could pursue it because nobody around me knew anything about how to become a songwriter. If you grow up doing emo poetry and you grow up in Colorado, where there is actually a country scene in Colorado, mm-hmm. but you were saying Under Oath was like a band that you liked. Like you were, you were listening to all kinds of music that was not what I, I, I didn't just, well, it's not, it's not like country was the only music you were listening to clearly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my parents were really strict growing up, like very religious. And so they would only let us listen to Christian music. And I was like, this is terrible. So I asked my friends um, in my neighborhood to like burn me CDs of like whatever they were listening to. Ah. And that's how I started getting exposed to all these different things. Because, you know, the first song would be like, 3 a.m. by Eminem. And then the next song would be The Dance by Garth Brooks. And I'd be like, whoa. So I never really listened to stuff like by album. It was just all these different songs from all these different genres. So that's how I kind of got exposed to to country. Um, but I will say before that, my my mom was a huge John Denver fan. So he's always my my favorite. Did, you, did, uh, did your family know that you were listening to music outside of... 
what you were allowed to listen to? Or, you know, did they play stupid or were you really hiding this stuff from, from that? I was really hiding it. Like I, I told my friends, I was like, don't like draw whatever is on this CD. Like just say like mix one or like mix two. Like don't, don't tell me anything. Cause I need to be able to put this in my Stephen Curtis Chapman CD cover and have my parents think that that's what it is. Oh my God. What's the, what are the consequences for listening to music? That's not Christian music. Uh, I got grounded once my dad wanted to listen to an actual Christian, you know, I can't remember what artist it was, but he put it in my CD and like the first song was like a Slipknot song and he was, uh, he was pissed. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's literally the opposite. Like it's literally. It's the opposite song than you're allowed to hear. I imagine that's, that's pretty shocking. For, I, I yeah. think it was a song called Wait and Bleed. Um, and yeah, yeah, he was not happy. That happened, I think, at least three times. But I feel like that is very minimal for how many different CDs I had. So, Are you, um, are you religious? I am not. Um, yeah, I, I feel like... And more spiritual for sure, but I was never really into the whole religious thing. What is that hard for your family? No, they. Uh, my mom did a complete one hundred and eighty. She is now really into Reiki and crystals. Oh, yeah, nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we've uh, we've really expanded and grown for sure. Yeah. I mean, what makes people change? I think events in your life that make you look at things differently. Um, yeah. For sure. So I think after we all got out of the house and they experienced life without kids and not, and they also moved to a cabin in the middle of the woods in Minnesota. So that could really change somebody as well. Right. Was your dad working with the twins? Did he move from the Rockies to work with the twins or was he done with that at that point? He was pretty much done. He, his last team he worked for was the Mets. Um, Yeah. And then, but by that time I was in college, so we didn't move to, to New York. Uh, he was just, he had a place there, but, um, he retired after that. It was just like done. Did you think you were going to, you know, when you go to Berkeley, but you don't know much about songwriting, why did you choose to go to a music school? Of all the places, did you want to do musical theater? Did you want to sing? Or was it just like, that was your hobby? So it's like, well, I guess I'm going to go to school for that. It was pretty much that, like, because I knew nothing about it. We actually, I found out about it by uh, the Colorado Rockies played the Boston Red Sox in the World Series. And so we were walking to Fenway and we walked by Berkeley and I heard all this music coming from there. And at that point, like I... Music was like my favorite hobby. Like I would do it all the time. Uh, And so we go in there and I'm like, wait, you can go to school for music? I was like, why has nobody told me this? And so I was like, mom, I'm going here. And I'm really glad I didn't know like how prestigious it was. Otherwise I would have never even applied. Because to me, like I, you know, once you get there, you find out like how many people have been dreaming of going there their whole lives. And then you show up and you're just like, yeah, I just walked by this place and I wanted to go here. Like you sound like such a prick. So, um, yeah, I would just, I think I went there because I was like, this is all I love to do. 
And so if I can turn this into something that seems like it's an accomplishment, then like great. But like, I just want to be able to play music all the time. Yeah, of course. What do you, I, I don't know that much about the Berkeley curriculum. I know enough about it, but what is your, you don't you have to pick when you go there? Do you have to be, I'm a songwriting student or I'm a guitar singer, I'm a singer. What did you study? Um, so I got in as a vocalist, a vocal major. Um, and I, I literally switched my major every semester that I was there because I had no idea what I wanted to do, um, which was great because I got to like kind of get a piece of everything. So like I first was like, oh, I want to be a composer. And then you get to the class where you have to create like a, you know, a piece for a string quartet. And I was just like, mm, I don't like this. So then the next semester was performance. And I was like, why do I need a degree in performance? Like, this is stupid. And then I go to the next one, which is engineering. And then I had my first Pro Tools class. And I was like, woo. But then also, I will say, I feel like I would get into it more. But the teacher was basically like, you're only going to make money if you do commercial jingles. So you have to you know, use Pro Tools to make a commercial jingle. And I'm like, no. So songwriting was my last pick. And uh, here we are. So it worked out. But I didn't, I never graduated. So that was just sort of like, once you realize you don't need a degree in songwriting, you're like, okay, well, I'm leaving. Did you, um, did your family support the decision of dropping out of school? Um, they didn't know that I didn't graduate until many years later. (laughs) How did they not know that? Um, because I had had enough credits to where I could walk. Um, uh, what do you feel like you need to finish it now or no? Nah. You're nope, because it gets to a certain point, too, where it's just like they start filling in, like you start wasting time doing things that you really don't want to do, like taking a conducting class. I'm like, I'd rather be songwriting. And they're like, no, you need to learn how to conduct an orchestra. And I'm like, OK, right. like when which to me, in hindsight, I'm like, that would actually be cool if I like could wear a Britney mic and like be singing my own song while conducting. Like nobody's done that. Like pretty cool. You could still probably figure some of that out. Um, oh, for sure. You know, uh, I think it's called an iptus, you know, where the, where your hand stops at the certain <laughs> like any composing, any any conducting dork who's listening to this is going to be super stoked right now. Okay. Um, why is it that people who are involved in acapella are also good songwriters? Because I feel like drummers and I, you know, that uh, I, w- I was in an acapella group the same year. And I've said this before, where it's like Sarah Bareilles was at UCLA when I was at USC. And I know that John Legend was at, at Penn, uh, Penn State when I was at USC. We were all the same year. And I know of a bunch of people who are who are pretty successful who were in acapella groups. That's in, crazy. Even though you weren't into string quartets, the arrangements that you have to learn are pretty substantial. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it about acapella that 
that non-acapella people, because the oh, sorry, going back like in LA, there are no real acapella groups. There are some at, at USC and UCLA, but it's not like the Midwest where everyone knows someone who was in an acapella group. And it's totally it's not like the East Coast where literally arenas can fill out with some acapella groups. You know, it's yeah. so so big. But yet people in the pop world just don't even know it exists or they don't even think that it's a real thing. But it's totally, totally real. And you had an experience of being on, you know, the sing-off on NBC and all this stuff. So tell me about your acapella journey and why acapella makes good songwriters. Well, I joined the Berkeley acapella group because I needed to make friends. Um, so... I auditioned for that and it was like kind of a because I'd been in choirs before and like smaller jazz choirs um so I was aware of like how acapella worked um but I had never gotten into the pop side of it and so to me I feel like once you start learning how to arrange things it really opens your mind up to like oh we don't have instruments, so we need to get more creative on how to make this song ebb and flow without, you know, the ease of like being able to, I feel like instruments, it's easy to add crescendo and like to build a song up because you just add more instruments. Whereas in acapella, you have to get creative because you don't have that luxury. So to me, you just start learning how different melodies work with other, you know, in certain parts of the song and, you know, when to build things to like be more staccato, to sound like string stabs, like it just opens your mind up more creatively. And um, it just, I don't know, it's just a completely different way of arranging. Were you intimidated to start showing the songs that you were writing? And if you were intimidated to even go to Berkeley because of those kids who wanted to do it, were you also intimidated as a songwriter to, you know, because of all the people who wanted to be songwriters? Um, I don't ever remember being intimidated because I was just so curious. Like I really wanted to learn. So to me, I, you know, would always come into class every day and want to be the first one to play because I was like, I just, I want feedback. Like I want to know if I'm doing this properly because I want to be good at it. So to me, it was more about the, the skill of it that I really wanted to learn quickly because I knew that I didn't want to stay in school for that much longer. Um, so to me, I was just like, I want to get as much feedback as possible before I move to wherever. Um, so, and I think, so Kara Diaguardi taught a songwriting class the last semester that I was at Berkeley. And so um, she really expedited my process because she was not shy about being, about critiquing my music for sure. She's not shy. In fact, she, she, asked, a, she asked a question on um, what would Cara Diaguardi ask Ingrid Andrus on And the Writer Is. She asked you, what would you sing if you were at Santa's pub? <laughs> oh, well, I'd probably, um, uh, 
probably do a round two of us singing before he cheats because uh, we got kicked off the stage because we started the song cussing. We were like, what's up, bitches? And then they shut us off. Like, we didn't even get to sing it because their rule at Santa's Pub is you are not allowed to curse on the microphone. Yeah, so. bitch, you're sort of on the line there, especially in... Wait, explain what Santa's Pub is. I, I guess if people don't know what it totally. is, explain it. So Santa's Pub is basically this old trailer uh, in Nashville that they turned into a bar. And the guy who owns it look literally looks like Santa Claus. And it's decked out in like Christmas lights all year round. And it's like this divey, smoky, dark karaoke place, basically, that only serves beer. Um, and it is a Nashville gem. Yeah, it's an essential location for uh, anybody who's ever been to Nashville to to spend time um, and to get inebriated there. Um, yes. Fantastic fun times. And Kara sends her best and wants me to tell you that. Um, but I'm going to text her afterwards. Um, so <laughs> Kara, who's one of the great songwriters uh, of the generation, has, you know, at this point had already been a, a former coach on American Idol. Everybody knows who she is. Uh, everyone will get to know her when they hear her interview on And the Writer Is. But, um, you know, to have a mentor like that is insane, you know? And, yes. But she immediately introduces you to people in the business. Did you go to Nashville from Berkeley? I did, yeah. I drove there. So basically the progression was she, at the end of, some, of the semester, was like, I think you are really good, but you need to like put the work in. She's like, I don't know how seriously you want to pursue this, um, but I think you have a lot of potential. And I was just like, cool. So I drove, I picked Nashville because I had visited there and I was just like, you know what, this is actually like, the songwriting capital of the world. I know it's primarily country, which I loved writing. Um, but I just was like, yeah, I'm just going to drive to Nashville. I didn't really know anybody. She said that she would hook me up with this producer, Frank Rogers, uh, eventually. And I was like, okay, cool. So I literally drove there only knowing one person and just kind of like started figuring it out on my own. Um, and going to songwriter rounds and like testing songs out and just kind of getting, once again, just wanting to learn and wanting to get feedback and like really open to criticism. Because I think what I learned from Kara is like, I would much rather have somebody be honest with me about something. Um, even if it hurts my feelings, because, you know, I feel like a lot of the times songwriters are really sensitive because they're putting their heart and soul into a song, which is beautiful. But if you want it to resonate with other people, you need some sort of feedback until you innately know it yourself, you know? So I'm very thankful that I had her as a mentor. And I think it's super important for anybody who wants to be a writer to like have somebody they trust to give feedback early on. We've all written a lot of songs that we thought were good, but it just seems like you know crowds don't really react to it the same way. And when you're doing songwriter rounds, you know it's really evident. What was the first song where you realized that you might actually be competitive and that you might be as good as 
you know, your expectations? Um, there were a few songs and it wasn't ever really like this big, like aha moment. It was really more of like a, Oh, I had, you just start getting more and more people coming up to you after rounds being like, Hey, I really like this one song you played. Like that totally happened to me or, um, and that just started happening more and more the more I wrote. So, um, I feel like there are a few songs. There was one that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I had the concept for a while and then I remember finally writing it and everybody reacted to that song. It's not out. It was called Caught Fire, but that's the one that Kara was like, okay, yeah, you, you figured it out. Like, here we go. So, um, yeah, it was just, it really was about learning how to hook a concept. And, and that was kind of the thing that I, that took me a while to master and then not master, but at least like know how to do. What, did, what does that mean? Hook a concept? Like the, the Nashville twist of like the smart, how do you hook it in a way that you're like, Oh, um, which it's to me now it's fun. Cause it's more like a puzzle. Um, but like, how do you, how do you flip words? How do you, how do you say something in a way that nobody said it before? Um, which to me is not always the best way to write a song. Cause there's nothing more like, sometimes I love like a mindless, like body, yaddy, 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 yaddy. Like there's no twist in that. There's no, no, like no flip, no nothing, which is great. Like I'm, you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? I'm, I, I'm here for some mindless shit, but the thing that got me into songwriting was those twists and those, like, how do you say this in a unique way? So that's my favorite version of writing. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait till we get to the more heart than mine. And I know I'm taking my time, but that's because that's what we take have. It. Um, take okay. it. <laughs> so, you know, you go to Nashville, you start playing songwriter rounds and then you're the first release that you have is with, Charlie XCX, co-written with one of our, you know, favorites, Emily Warren, who I haven't talked to in probably 36 minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just talked to her this morning. Um, she, you know, this song, Boys, and, and to me, I feel like Boys is in this small category of songs that I would have put a lot of money on being a smash 
that I don't think got its fair shake. Um, Charlie's incredible. The video's phenomenal. The song's yes, great. Is. Uh, but it is everything but country music. Uh, how does somebody who's in Nashville doing songwriter rounds end up co-writing maybe one of the, I mean this in the best possible way, but one of the poppiest pop songs? You totally. know, like it's so the opposite. What is what is the scenario that you found yourself in? You know, so, um, I started going back and forth between Nashville and LA um, because I was writing these songs in Nashville that were so in between at the time, um, where people were like, "Oh, this is too pop for country," or "It's too country for pop," kind of thing. Um, it, but I was writing about these concepts in Nashville that were a little more emotional. And people did not, they were not into that. They were like, where's the beer? Where's the trucks in your music? Like, how are we going to pitch this? Like, nobody wants to sing about this. Um, so I got frustrated. And then I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to go out to LA. And um, Michael Pollock and I actually met here in Nashville when he went to Vanderbilt. He's one of my best friends. Um, and so we kind of started going out there. Um, and yeah, we were just like, forget country. Like nobody likes any of our songs. Like, let's just go, you know, make riding trips to LA. And when we wrote Boys, it was in Ari or Lauf, as we all know him. It was in his bedroom. And we kind of wrote, we wrote the verses and everything like very like stripped down, which is a very Nashville way of writing things. But I feel like to me, writing is writing. You know, it doesn't really, you figure out the genre later, but for me, I'm like, I just do whatever I feel like is good for the song. And so I'm not really ever sure how it just kind of morphed into like this. I, you know, I think it just comes from me listening to all different genres of music when I was younger and never picking one as being like, this is my favorite, you know? And I feel like that just comes out in writing. I did not realize that Lauv was a writer on it, but yes, of course he's a writer on it. He will also have his episode on and the writer. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get Pollock on soon. It's like I'm surprised Pollock hasn't been on yet. Come on, Pollock, where are you at? Exactly. I mean, how you that that's such a superstar group of writers for a song. Um, I, uh, I I think a lot of people should go and listen to it. But I think when your first song is that, and because your co-writers are are in that, are you know, they're really a big part of the pop um, zeitgeist right now, especially with Pollock, Lauv, and Emily and Charlie. So uh, I I'm sure you have an open door to work in and pop anytime you want. And and we know of a lot of huge writers in Nashville who come to LA and have been to LA a ton and just can't write a pop song. Yeah. It's, it's not, a very different vibe. It's a very different vibe. But I mean, like the best of the writers in Nashville come to LA to write pop songs and don't have success at it. And, you know, it's kind of your first thing. Do you think that hurt people taking you seriously as a country artist because you had already dabbled in pop as a writer? Um, I think it definitely made Nashville, like the people of Nashville, like very confused. It was more confused. I don't think they, 
they were just like, wait, so what are you doing? Like, are you a pop writer? Like, but you live here. But some of your songs sound like you should be singing them. So like, do you want to be an artist? Like everybody in this town was just like, Ingrid Andrus is a mystery. We know nothing, which to me, I sort of liked because I think Nashville can be very, it used to be, it's getting better, but people needed you to fit in a box. So they knew like where to put you. Um, and I never wanted that for myself. I was like, I'm, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I like going out there and writing to tracks and like figuring it out and not having to sing about beer and trucks. And then I like coming back here and I like writing emotional songs that are like smart in our country, but they're not your typical, like what you want. Like, I just want to be able to do what I want. So that was sort of the, the whole mindset for me of just like, I think people finally realized when I decided to be an artist, they're like, Oh, okay. Like you've had the same sound this whole time. It's just now starting to become more acceptable. Ah, that's an interesting anecdote. You know, the, the industry has opened up more to women in the last couple years than they had in, you know, 10, 15 years. Do you, you know, how do you feel about being a woman in, in country music now having been through, you know, you've been in Nashville for, I don't know how many years, but long enough that you were there before, you know, this recent, I don't want to even say resurgence, like it's a brand new kind of thing, you know? I mean, right? what is it, you know, what's it like to be female in country music? Um, I guess to me, it's, I am such a logical person. It just sometimes doesn't make sense to me why it's taken so long for women to be recognized in country music since a very large portion of the country demographic is women. Um, So I think sometimes it gets a little frustrating because I think people still have like a, you know, a scared mindset of just like, let's just play it safe. Keep, keep putting out songs about, you know, you look great girl tonight under the moon, you know, like let's just keep using those songs cause they work. So sometimes it gets frustrating when you try to push the boundaries, especially as a female, cause people are like, well, you're not singing about the things that everybody loves, you know, but I, I think it's, I feel lucky to have decided to be an artist during this up swing of women in country. Cause I think people are realizing that I don't, I think people want to hear about emotional things and things from a woman's perspective and also be challenged and not just give you like some really easy concept to grasp. Like, I think people are realizing like, no, people, you know, they're, they're realizing that they've been underestimating people for a while. Yeah, the Grammys have, you know, over the last three years, really when, uh, you know, when Portnow at the Grammys had said that there's something like, you know, well, why aren't women more recognized? And this was the year that Lord 
wasn't allowed to perform for album of the year because they wanted to have Sting and Shaggy do three segments on TV instead of having Lord. And people asked, and he said something about, well, women should try harder. And that was basically the end of his tenure as <laughs> president of the Grammys. And, yeah. and then, you know, fast forward to this year and the entire rock category are all women for the first time. You know, you have, you have, you know, since then you have Casey Musgraves winning all the awards and you have, you know, what, what Marin's done and what, what, you know, what you guys are writing about are more, it's more interesting than what you get from a lot of the hit male writers and the renegades in all of these genre uh, genres are women. It's, mm-hmm. And it's a, but it's kind of across the board. It's it's almost not even just country. It's like if you look at rock and you look at country and then you look at even hip hop and you look at Megan Thee Stallion and all these. It's like it's across the board. Women are coming out with better music. Mm-hmm. Um, is it because people are now listening to the music, or is it that women are enabled or encouraged, or is it is it an environmental thing that creates? you know, uh, an environment where people, where women can start releasing music that is just better than what these guys are doing. I mean, what is, what is it? I, I honestly, just from a consumer perspective, I just think that the, their music is just better. Like, I don't even view it as a gender thing at this point because there's a lot of music out there that I'm just like, why is, why is this a thing? But I will say that, like, I think women I think we've had to find our thing and what we're good at and and figure it out and we almost had to like work harder to get there because we can't just put out a song about margaritas and expect people to like lose their minds over it because there are already songs out there about that by dudes that are huge you know and it's like okay well what can we do that's different. So I think we had to work harder and smarter to figure it out. And now it's just like the, the rest is history. Like I think, especially like with Megan and Cardi, like they found their thing, you know, and they were, and same with Casey, same with Marin, like everybody's just finding their thing. And I think that's what makes the music that women have been putting out a little more stand out for sure. I, I'm smiling and kind of when when you said margaritas because you know you were just telling a story about uh, whale watching, being on camels, ordering skinny margaritas <laughs> in Spanish, and so I was like, I mean, I don't know if there's a country song and whale watching, riding camels in Cabo, ordering a margarita <laughs> with minimal Spanish like capabilities, but I feel like you're like right, there's something there. Oh, for sure. Very relatable. Yeah. If I'm for, for write, many people. If I'm gonna write about uh uh margaritas, I'm gonna write about it while riding a camel watching whales. But this must be Dang. the weirdest segment of this podcast and we don't have to explain that. Um, <laughs> a lot of your co writers, when looking at the stuff that is not your artistry, you know, when it's BB Rexa, and I know that you now have songs with, with Dove and with um, Hey Violet, and you know, it's Mo- Lauren Jariki. It's, it's 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 women in as co-writers. Do you 
write with men and are those songs that just either have happened or have not happened? I mean, is it, do you write with men? Do you have collaborators or, or do you work with any artists that are not female? Um, I mean, not really. I think, I mean, maybe some boy band stuff, but for me, it's just, it's, I don't know. I can only add so much, I think, sometimes to, you know, especially men in country. Like, I've collabed with a few male artists, but it's just so specific on what they are comfortable talking about. And I always want to, like, push the limit somehow. And I think that makes some, not all, but most men uncomfortable. Um, So at least in Nashville, like it's pretty slim as far as artists go, but um, a lot of my songwriting people that are my go-tos are male. Um, But yeah, as far as artists wise, I I think I relate more to female artists for sure. It's weird. It's like there's such a fear of vulnerability from country male artists. And in an era where social, somebody said this to me where vulnerability is the, uh, is the currency of social media. Yes, it is currently. If that's, if that's the case, then that also is a reason why the stagnation in, in male music and rock and in country would tend to not be vulnerable, why they continue to release the same music and why the, the female music is so much more exciting because there's a vulnerability and, and willing to go places that you, that might be dangerous to write about. So yeah, definitely. I can, I can imagine, you know, in Nashville, it would feel that way when, okay. Um, more hearts than mine is one of those lyrics where you do the hook thing. The foot, the twist, the hook thing. Yep. Uh, you got foothills in there. So, I mean, when you talk about, you know, you need to have something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, got the visuals. Yeah. Is that the, did you know when you were done with that song that that was the song that it was, that that was going to be the song that people would get to know you by? Was it, the, it feels like if I wrote that song, I would be knocking on all of the doors to be like, this, this is the, this is like, have you guys all heard this song that I wrote? <laughs> I did, have you, have you heard this? I'm amazing. Um, no, I feel like, I mean, I, I didn't know it would be the song because, you know, you have people being like country radio doesn't want ballads. Um, so I didn't think that it would be, I knew it was a really well-written song um, and I loved that it was so personal to me, but that's also why I didn't think that it would be super relatable. Cause I do get so specific in the verses um, and the chorus, like it's all very specific to my family. And so part of me was like, maybe not everybody can relate to this, but I was wrong. Um, yeah. Why, why do you think that, people can relate to it i think because people can there's a place for everybody in that song like whether it's you know if you hear it and you're a dad you're like oh that's me 
or if you hear it and you're a mom, you're like, that's me. Or if you're a sister or anybody, like you can hear yourself in that scenario. And I think even if, even if you don't drink whiskey over ice, like you still are just like, yeah, I would, you know, I just hear, I've been in that situation before. Um, so I think that's what took it to that next level. Yeah. I don't think it's even about the, um, it's not really about the, the specifics somehow are really inviting, but yeah, you paint the picture of a, 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 a dad that's a guy's guy and that, you know, most of us have a dad that's a, a man's man, you know, yeah. like, that's how we grew up thinking of them, even if they're not. Right. So Exactly. Um, I think you should make me a co-writer on that in <laughs> after the fact because totally. It's like invite me to the room next time you have that concept. Just be like, hey man, we should totally. I, I just finished the song; it's really good. You should come and put your name on this. Like, <laughs> it's only what good friends do. I just I, I agree. It's the least I can do for you having me yeah. on this podcast. That's, uh, exactly. Okay, so we're on the same page now. That's good. <laughs> Um, to be nominated for CMAs and to be nominated for CMTs um, and Grammys all have different meanings. Uh, and and espe- especially for somebody who's lived in different parts of the country, who's listened to all different kinds of music. What is the, how do you feel when you get a nomination? I know that the Grammys are pending and I'm not sure if, you know, We'll see when the Grammys actually end up, but we assuming that they'll, you know, I, we don't know if we'll have this out before or after it, but totally. you know, what it, it's obviously amazing to get nominated for anything to get nominated for all of these things is a whole other thing. What is it? What is the difference for somebody when you find out about one versus the other? Do they all have different meanings to you? Is it all the same thing? What does it mean? I think for the country, um, nominations for the CMT or CMA, um, those mean something different to me because it's more of a Nashville community type of thing, which is its own thing separate from, I think, like the music industry as a whole, just because, you know, country music can be so specific on what they think is country and if you're working or not and all this stuff. So to me, it's more of like a validation from the Nashville community that means a lot to me because it's scary pushing boundaries because people can shut you down so quick, you know, especially, especially in country music because everybody has their own specific thing of like what they think it is. And so to me, those were, those were special in the way of people just being like, yeah, like you're, you're doing it. Like we appreciate you expanding the genre. Um, And then for the Grammys, it was just, those are just things that I've like wanted since I got into music. So to me, that's more like a personal win because to me, it's just like, yeah, like you did the thing, the thing that you've wanted to do. So way to go, you. So Grammys are different in that way. Um, And yeah, it's just kind of mind blowing. Get, getting nominated. Well, uh, first of all, the, there's a a truth that people don't understand if they're not in the music and they've never been nominated for anything. But it really is 
such an honor to be nominated. And if you've ever been fortunate enough to be in the room where people actually vote on the nominations, then you really understand because those people are often jaded haters from the music industry. So it is really hard to get nominated. It's hard to get nominated if you're new and it's Mm -hmm. hard to get nominated for different. You got, you know, country song and album, but also best new artist. That's that's the weird one to me. I'm like, how did I get there? I'm like with Megan the Stallion. I'm like, Jesus. Dude, that is the crazy. That's so crazy. It is it is insane. I know this is like it is insane to get nominated for anything, but to get best new music as a country artist. What? I have no, I just, I still can't wrap my head around it, to be honest. I'm trying to play it cool, but I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I don't know. It just, it's mind blowing to me. I'm like, how, how did we get here? I can't wait to, so. you, you know, your, uh, uh, I don't know what they're doing in person or what they're going to send to your house, but you know, when you go and you have, you'll have like this, this like medallion thing that you I just got and, it. You did. You did. Okay, cool. So yes. I, I hope that when you go to Santa's pub next, you wear it while you think like on the carry, go up there and be like, I am allowed to curse because I have this medallion. Wear it, wear it underneath something. So you're not like that person, but just when you just take a self, I mean, I, I, this probably knowing Nashville is probably open and people are probably going and singing at Santa's, you know, and sharing for sure. Them. I'm sure they are, you know, but next time when it opens up, just do that. Just for me as, as you know, just do that. Just I will. Go, that's a good moment for a Grammy nominee to be, I'm at Santa's and this is full circle, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, I will. That's actually a great idea. Yeah. You're welcome for that. Um, all right. So <laughs> let's go for five for five. I'm going to list five things and I want you to tell me, you know, something about these people or things. Okay. Let's start with Cara Diaguardi. Spicy. Spicy human. She is a, like, fun fact about her or just oh, I, there aren't how any I'd people. describe them. Spicy is totally fine. Cara like is brilliant. She's, she's, she just makes the, she, I feel like she, she's part of the Freemasons and makes the world go round. She really is. She, like, does, she has, like, 15 different projects all happening at the same time. And it's mind blowing to me how she literally can get everything done. It's crazy. This is a, a, a a wider one, but um, I put female pop stars because Charlie XCX and Fletcher and BB are these like really interesting outlandish. Totally. Pop stars. So I put female pop stars. Do I have to pick one? No, no, no. Just like, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe these these women. I just feel like they're like, there's some way to describe them that I don't know. Cause... Yeah, it's like outsider pop. It's, um, uh, I don't know. It's almost like edge, edge, edgy pop, maybe. Because they just, I like, I prefer working with women like them because they are down to try like whatever. 
Like they just want to express themselves exactly how they want to, instead of like having to blend into whatever currently is, is cool. Um, I feel like Julia Michaels to me is that as well. Like the edge, edge pop. I love Julia. All right. Me too. Um, I put female country stars cause they're now your, they're also your peers, but I know we talked about, you know, the, this movement in country music that's really exciting. So I put female country stars. Yes. Casey Musgraves, Marin. Um, who else is moving the dial? I mean, there's a lot of them, but I think that there are so- certain ones that are really moving the dial. And even, you know, Miranda Lambert's been like, you know, like kind of, she's been own. moving the dial since day one. Like yeah. she is a, such a badass and always will be. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's incredible. I put Michael Pollack. Oh, I miss him. Um, he is, he is just a brilliant little little man who is so good at piano. Like if anybody is, he, everyone needs to see him play. He's just incredible. Um, and he's just so smart and neurotic. I love him. He's like the, the yin to my yang. Cause I'm such a like free spirited, like no plans, like let's just wing it. And you know, he's not that way at all. So we balance each other out extremely well. And, um, I was his first co-write crazy yeah that's, that's a pretty exciting co-write um shout out to michael the guy's killing it and he's a good human and uh, a good co-writer and uh last but not least i have and this is a, you can go by each one if you want but i just put your family oh my family um well very very swedish names as we discussed um but they definitely inspired more hearts than mine. Like we're all very close. And uh, even though we're all spread out, like we, you know, that song is very true to form because they, uh, there are a lot of us, there are seven of us total. So they, um, they're very easy to write about for sure. Well, thank you for doing this podcast. I mean, I, I I know that this is, this is only going to be your first time on this podcast, but as we've been doing it now weekly, I get the feeling you'll be back on as you have more albums come out. Yes, but I would love that. It's cool. I mean, because, you know, I, I remember seeing your name and being, ah, yeah, that must be a Swedish writer. <laughs> and and it was totally those guys. And then as you released music, it was like, oh, this is this is insane. This is phenomenal songwriting. Like the craft is wonderful. You Thank should be you. like incredibly proud of that. Like that's what I was saying. If I wrote that song, I feel like I'd knock on all of my neighbors' doors and just like, you guys got to hear this song I wrote. <laughs> I mean, the whole album's obviously good. You don't get nominated by accident, and you've earned all of it. And your, you know, the hustle that you've put in to get this far is is incredible. But it's only this is chapter one, which is crazy to think, but. Yeah, I feel like that's that's why I'm so glad that I was a songwriter first because I feel like you can once you know 
Roughly, because we, we never really officially know what we're doing all the time. But like once you vaguely know like how to structure a song, like you can do it the rest of your life, which is really, you know, something that not everybody can say. So good for us for being songwriters. <laughs> that just made me like kind of like emotional. It's true. It's like you have this skill set that you've developed that will stick with you one way or the other. It's hard to shake it completely. You know, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it will ever, it never goes away. Even if you don't write for a while and you get back and you're just like, I have no idea how to write a song. Somehow you do. Amazing. Well, thank you. Of course. I appreciate you. I hope we get to like actually hang in person and write something. I'll, I'll, I'll work on some concepts for you. Some twisty concepts. Absolutely. I'm into it. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.